1: I had this real sense of God giving me a promise and it was a promise that I've carried to this day and it's a bit of an odd one for some people but it was this agreement where he said if you give me your life I will heal your heart and it was it was a simple decision so I said yeah okay I'll give you my life and from that day there was a change in my attitude and a change in my perspective.
0: The story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, our guest today says if you're not living an adventure, you're not living. And for Jared Waipori, his life has been one big adventure from New Zealand to the Caribbean and then settling in the South Pacific Island nation of Vanuatu, where he joins us from today. Jared is chatting and sharing his story with Eric Scadabour.
2: Jared Waipori, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks for having me.
2: Glad to have you with us, and you are coming to us from Vanuatu. That's where you live, right?
1: Yes, that's right. I'm living in Tioma Valley, which is about 25 minutes outside the capital city of Port Vila.
2: Okay, and you were originally born in Christchurch, New Zealand, is that right?
1: Yes, yeah, flat Christchurch,
2: very <laughs> okay. flat. Okay. So as we heard in the introduction, you kind of take a a long way to go to Vanuatu through the Caribbean and some trips back and forth. We'll get to all that, but a lot of traveling and adventures. And so where do we want to start?
1: The funny thing is the start is really in Christchurch, in this upbringing where for the first quarter of my life, I really went nowhere. But I had this experience of childhood where I grew up knowing who God was and knew who Jesus was. and. Mm -hmm. And then uh, my parents split up when I was 10, and, and in the process of that split up, I ended up spending a lot of time with my extended family on the farm. And mm-hmm. they are uh, Christians who, through this series of really transformative events in their own lives, it, it turned out to be these people who are so outward focused. and They run this farm, and they've been known to provide uh, care for pregnant mothers in the 70s, and they oh, provided... Wow. Yeah, they did all this amazing stuff. So we yeah. walked into this, and um, my uncle in particular, he's this guy who, having grown up in the Depression, he kind of had this attitude of, we're going to make it work one more time. So he would take whatever was broken and fix it again or you know, look at a broken thing and say, yeah, but we can use that for this thing over here. So I spent all of this time, particularly in my teenage years, around these people who were passionately in love with God and who... who could make anything out of anything, Uh, knew how to love people, and had this amazing connection to missions. And in all of that, I was looking around at all these broken old bits of gear, fascinated by them.
2: Would it be safe to say that you're mechanically inclined?
1: Yes. My uncle taught me to be fascinated by everything mechanical. From a really young age, I had this fascination with machinery Mm -hmm. and anything that had any kind of mechanism in it. So uh, watching him working on things and fixing things, it gave me a real sense of anything's possible and you can fix anything if you can just understand how it all goes together. So as a high school leader, I decided that I would go into a trade. Mm -hmm. So I I went off and got training as a, a heavy equipment mechanic and learned how to fix forklifts and learned some of the theory about diggers and bulldozers and tractors and all of that really cool stuff.
2: And you mentioned that you were raised in a Christian family and obviously influenced by your uncle. Did you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ at that time in your childhood?
1: Yes, I initially I made a commitment to Jesus at about 6. But the journey of my parents separating and there was some some things that happened within our church. So we didn't end up in church for quite a long time and mm. that whole journey really kind of created a distance and I didn't mm. really have a lot of really kind of strong engagement with my faith
2: mm. during okay. high school. Then what happened?
1: As a seventeen year old, we were we'd started attending this tiny little church that my aunt and uncle had started years and years earlier. And it was a long way out of town. It was it was a challenging logistical thing for my mum. But she's this woman of faith who really had a sense that the Lord was saying we needed to do this. And so she started taking us off there every couple of Sundays and and we engaged in this community of believers. And, and as I connected with these young people, I started to feel a belonging and a sense of welcoming that I hadn't experienced up until that point. As a school student, I was kind of one of those kids who didn't quite fit. I wasn't quite nerdy enough for the nerds and I wasn't quite sporty enough for the sport people and I wasn't that cool. So I kind of, I didn't quite settle in any group in school. So Mm, we go off to this church and they they have this dynamic youth group where I felt welcomed and included and engaged and valued. Mm -hmm. And so over the course of about six months, I started to sort of feel a sense of the Lord drawing me back closer to him.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: So it all culminated uh, with this Queen's Birthday weekend camp
3: Mm -hmm.
1: with the youth group where my uncle stood up and he gave this very short message but a message that said, are you going to follow Jesus with everything you have or something else? You Mm -hmm. need to make a decision. And I I had this real sense of the Holy Spirit meeting me in that place and a sense of God giving me a promise. And it was a promise that I've carried to this day, and it's a Mm -hmm. bit of an odd one for some people, but it was this agreement where he said, if you give me your life, I will heal your heart. And at that stage, even as a 17-year-old, there was a lot of hurt there, you know, in particular around my family breaking up and, mm-hmm. and where I fit in in social contexts. I didn't mm-hmm. necessarily know how to describe it, but there was a real sense of, of hurt. And so the Lord kind of gave me this ultimatum. You give me your life, all of it, and I'll heal your heart. And it was, it was a simple decision. So I said, yeah. yeah, okay, I'll give you my life. And from that day, there was a change in my attitude and a change in my perspective where I realized that this was no longer just about me enjoying things and doing what I thought was best. Um, I'd come to that point in life always having a sense of, I want to do something that makes a difference in the world. Mm -hmm. But now I'd I'd committed my life to the Lord, and so I knew that the difference I'm going to make is going to be a difference for the Lord. I'm going to make a difference because God has connected with me and he's given me purpose. So, yeah, that was a Mm -hmm. pretty major
2: turning point. Okay, and now we go back to what we talked about earlier, you being mechanically inclined. How did that tie in with all this?
1: Well, that was that was an interesting challenge. I went off and got an apprenticeship in a, just a normal forklift industry workshop and but alongside that I was doing my work and, and doing okay. But alongside that I had this connection to the church. And so what happened is I spent my weekends and my evenings focused on what can I do in the youth. So I, I got engaged with the youth ministry and started mm. helping with mixing the sound on a Sunday morning and Eventually, that led to getting involved in the worship team and even singing and leading worship at one point. Oh, wow. So I had this, this career where I was an apprentice mechanic and trying to fix things and learn how to fix things and
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know, doing the best I could there. And in the not-so-distant background, I was taking time off work to take youth on special camps and go off on Easter camp and do all this stuff that was specifically engaged with trying to help our church to reach the community.
2: And so, at some point, did you have to make a decision?
1: Oh, that was hard. It was, as an apprentice, I wanted to do well, and I wanted to have as many opportunities as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. But there were definitely some times where I felt sort of held back, and I was stagnating in my job. And what I didn't understand at the time was that what I was feeling was a sense of calling, that the Lord was calling me to more than just being a mechanic. hmm And so I started to look at what options were available. But initially, because I didn't understand that calling, I was looking at mechanic work. What other jobs could I do? I want to be able to sort of earn more money so that I can be more independent later. I looked at going off and getting jobs in the mines. I looked at a bunch of different things. But one thing that really kind of stuck in the back of my brain was my uncle telling stories about ship life. Hmm. He'd been involved for lots of years with these youth with a mission entities that used uh, ships to carry the gospel of Jesus and hope and medical ministry and eye surgeries out to these remote parts of the world. Hmm. And I knew about this, and he told me stories about it, and it was always in the back of my mind. And so as a almost qualified tradesman, I was just on the end of my apprenticeship. I started thinking about ships and thinking maybe I should get a job on a ship because the pay is good and I'll get to do some really interesting things. Mm -hmm. And then when I'm not on the ship, I can come home and and serve the Lord in youth ministry. And as I started looking, there were some job opportunities that came up. But there was another layer to that because the ship ministries my uncle had been involved with as YWAM ministries, as youth with a mission, Mm -hmm. they were ministries that also ran training programs called the Discipleship Training School. Mm-hmm. And those programs were designed to equip you over six months for more mission.
2: I think I'm starting to see where this is going, so that way you could be yeah. involved with ships and ministry. Exactly. Is that kind of the, the thing?
1: Exactly right. So mm-hmm. there was this option where if I went off and did a discipleship training school, yeah. then I could stay as a long-term staff member with these ships. And I was aware that one of the biggest challenges ship ministries faced was finding qualified mariners, finding qualified sea people who knew how to do the engineering and Mm -hmm. knew how to do the navigation. So in my mind, I was thinking, I've done some engineering stuff as a mechanic, perhaps that translates, and I can use that for God's glory in the ship ministry. Mm And then I thought, if I go off and get a job with a normal shipping agency, then I can get all that experience as well and add that to a missions context. You Mm -hmm. know, maybe I can go off and do my six weeks on a normal ship and then spend some time on a mission ship. So that was how my brain was going. And this is in early to mid 2009. Mm -hmm. I start to really look seriously at these different options. And I, I applied for a few jobs. One of them was with the New Zealand Navy, one was with another ship company, but in the back of my mind there was this discipleship training school option, the option of just going straight to the mission field. And the church we were in was quite charismatic, mm-hmm. and at the time we had a lot of time in the services to allow for people hearing from the Holy Spirit and mm-hmm. allow for speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues. And there was this one morning where I felt the leading of the Holy Spirit and, and, and spoke in tongues, and then a couple of rows behind me, the moment that I stopped speaking, someone spoke up with the interpretation,
3: mm-hmm.
1: which I didn't listen to at all. Because as that happened, I felt this conviction in my spirit where I'd been thinking about DTS, I'd been thinking about these ship ministries and thinking about getting a job on a ship. And this conviction in my spirit came where I felt the Lord saying to me, if you can hear me to speak in tongues and the interpretation comes that quickly, why wouldn't you believe that you're hearing me about doing your DTS? The Discipleship Training School. So there was it was this moment where I realized that the Lord was asking me, you know, there wasn't direct booming voices or anything like that, there was Mm. just a sense in my spirit that the Lord was asking me to forego getting another job or getting more salary positions and just simply follow Him and do the
0: Discipleship Training School. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with Jared Waipori, who's joining us from his home in the South Pacific Island nation of Vanuatu. As we're hearing, Jared's sharing how the Lord had been working in his life and leading him to discipleship training school with Youth With A Mission, or YWAM. However, as we're about to hear, his secular job was becoming more and more attractive. We'll find out what happens next in Jared's life when we return. The Story who's joining us from his home in the South Pacific Island nation of Vanuatu. As we heard before the break, Jared shared his story and how the Lord led him to attend Discipleship Training School with Youth With A Mission, or YWAM. Now, Jared shares what happened next in his life as he continues
2: his chat with Eric Scatterbo. And meanwhile, what was happening at your position?
1: Oh, Well that was the best part. There was another part of that process where I had that sense in the church service and then a few weeks later I got a phone call from that uh, shipping company and the guy was saying, look I just spoke to your boss, he said you're joining the Navy, are you sure you want a job with us? I need to know because tomorrow we're interviewing and 10 days from now whoever's successful is getting on the ship. And that phone call happened as I was preparing our youth group to go off on a, a major youth conference. So I spent this youth conference going, I need to say no. I I said no, actually. I said no the following day because I knew the Lord was already speaking. So I said no and got back to work a couple of days later. And I walked into my boss's office and I said to him, I just want to let you know that I'll be leaving at the end of the year because I, I need to go and do this missions training course. Well, he was a Christian, right? And uh-huh. uh, it wasn't uncommon for us to walk into the his office first thing in the morning and see him with his Bible open. Oh, okay. Um, a tradesman, really, really quality mechanic, very, very competent manager. One of the best experiences I've had in terms of management and employee. Uh, so he looked at me and said, okay, thank you for letting me know. And it was that, oh, that, that was, was all it? it took. Oh, wow. That was all it was. But at the same time that all of this was happening, I'd just finished my apprenticeship and become trade qualified as a heavy equipment mechanic.
2: So you could start making some big money, is that right?
1: Yeah, and a few weeks later, um, my boss called me into the office and said, on Monday, you're moving into a van. And what that meant was, Until then, as an apprentice, I'd been working in a workshop environment, in a single environment all the time. You drive to work in the morning, you do your work inside the workshop, and then you go home. But we had this whole other array of mechanics, and they were field service mechanics who they got a company vehicle, and they spent their days driving around, changing uh, scenery every two hours, fixing broken machines and servicing customer machines that were on a customer site.
2: So you're getting this promotion.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'd always wanted it. The whole time I'd been working there, all I wanted was to get into a van and go trotting around fixing people's <laughs> stuff. So I finally got told, you're getting a van. And that wasn't just about going off and seeing better scenery, which was definitely a bonus. It was about being able to test my skills a little differently. And it was about the fact that not having to drive to work every morning meant I was saving all that fuel money because I mm. suddenly had a work vehicle. Yeah, uh, And it meant I could take on different hours and have a little more overtime to pay the mortgage with and all of these really great bonuses.
2: Yeah. So it's becoming more and more attractive to you.
1: Oh, it was fantastic. I got trade qualified. I got put in a van. I got a pay rise. There's this underlying thinking of in six months time, I'm out of here.
2: Hmm. And <laughs> so that decision's getting harder and harder to stay with that decision you made.
1: It was certainly testing it, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. So I remember getting up in the morning and getting in the van and driving down the road through our little town on the way to work. And I remember thinking to myself as I was driving, God, what on earth am I doing? I'm walking away from this, this amazing job, this amazing house, this amazing life that I have, ministering to these amazing young people. I'm walking away from all of it for this five-month school and then I don't know what's going to be here when I come back. The fact that I didn't come back is a whole story in, in itself. But, you know, I remember driving down the road thinking, this better be you, God, because if it's yeah. not, I'm going to look really silly.
2: <laughs> yeah, you're, you're taking a big risk there. Oh, yeah. But with the assurance that this is where the Lord wants you.
1: Yeah, very much so. Very much so.
2: So what happened?
1: So I... I resigned, I gave my notice at the appropriate time and, and at the beginning of 2010 I finished working as a forklift mechanic and I packed all my stuff into storage and sold the half share of a house that I had. Mm-hmm. I sold it to my flatmate's friend which was fantastic. That was a total provision of God, Because just a quick side note, um, that was just after the global financial crisis so the housing mm-hmm. market in New Zealand had plummeted Okay, uh, and I owned half a share in this house with a, a, another church friend of mine. Uh, and I said to him that I wanted to sell, but he didn't want to. His younger brother, though, was interested in buying off me. So what eventuated is that this younger brother bought the house off me for probably more than it was worth at the time, knowing that I was about to go off into this mission field. So that in itself was a real provision of the Lord, Yeah. that yeah. we were able to do all that transfer without lots of lawyers and messy paperwork and real estate agents. Uh, It was just a transfer into my bank account and a signature on a bit of paper. So Mm -hmm. that in itself was a provision of the Lord. And then in January 2010, I got on a plane. And I remember as the plane was taking off, it was the first plane of the day out of Christchurch Airport. Mm -hmm. And I remember looking through the window, and I happened to be on the left side of the plane, and I was facing east, and I could see the sun just starting to come up over the horizon. Mm -hmm. And I remember having this really sort of intense thought that, This is the last time you're going to look at this view for a long time. And that was a really kind of unsettling but also exciting moment, knowing that I was not coming home anytime soon.
2: Your adventure was beginning.
1: It was very much beginning. The funny thing is, in the youth with a mission world, most people go a long way for their discipleship training school. So I arrived in Tauranga, New Zealand, and there's people from Canada and America and Ireland and Sweden and Switzerland. Wow. And then there's little old me from New Zealand.
2: Yeah, and you're just a hometown boy almost.
1: Oh, yeah. And it, But for me, this was a big deal because I'd never left Christchurch for more mm. than three weeks. Yeah. But just going to the North Island for five months was a big deal.
2: Little did you know what was in store for you in the future.
1: <laughs> oh, so many things. Yeah. Yeah. The discipleship training school was nothing like what I anticipated. I was expecting this training program that would equip missionaries and then send them, and they could be missionaries. What I didn't realize was that for years, the discipleship training program had been a place where the Lord would meet people in the depths of their need and and restore their hearts and resolve brokenness and do all this other stuff as well as equipping hmm. them for mission.
2: Oh, so more equipping your heart than just equipping you with head knowledge.
1: Oh, very much so. Yeah, very much so. So there was there was this moment where our school leader stood up and said, people call this heart surgery with God. In terms of, you know, it's going to heal your psychology and emotions and mental capacity and transform how you think about just everything. And it really did. It changed how I saw Denominational boundaries because I'd come from a, a very, very Pentecostal charismatic environment, and it transformed how I saw that and made me appreciate the colour that different denominations bring a lot more. But it also, you know, it probed into the depths of some of my thought patterns mm-hmm. and how my parents' uh, separation had had impacted me and how my relationships with friends had impacted me to the point where, when I finished, I felt like a very different person to the person who'd arrived five months earlier. But that five months also included a, tri- a, a three-month outreach uh, to Fiji. So there was a side note that is we went to Fiji and the Lord did lots of really wonderful things. We did an eyeglasses outreach and uh, spent a lot of time in, in Fijian churches and communities. But still, it was really kind of more about equipping us and, and the Lord moving us and changing us and, and getting us ready. For this grand adventure
2: okay i'm gonna have to stop you right there jared because we've run out of time for this first part of your life story oh my goodness can we invite you to come (laughs) back again next time to share more of your adventures sure we're only just getting started (laughs) well that was
0: part one of eric Scatterbo chatting with jared waipori who lives in the south pacific island nation of vanuatu We invite you to join us again next time to hear more of Jared's story because he's only just getting started. There's a lot more to come. As a matter of fact, we started off today promising that Jared would share about his big adventures in various places in the world, but at this point with the exception of a three-month visit to Fiji, Jared has pretty much spent most of his time in New Zealand with only adventures beginning moving from the South Island to the North Island. But Jared said all of this was about preparing his heart and helping him grow and mature spiritually so he would be ready for what was coming next. A good prayer for all of us when we're seeking God's will is along these lines. Lord, prepare my heart for what you have in store for me. I trust that any change initiated by you is for the better, no matter how it appears at the time. Help me to yield to your plans for my life, which are always good and full of hope. Amen. Well, if you'd like to pray with anyone about seeking God's will for your life, our prayer line is 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. And we'd love to pray with you on that number, 1-800-772-936. Just give us a call. You can have a chat with one of our prayer team members. Well, until next time, when we'll hear part two of Jared's story, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story.
1: So we got to Panama, and then I was invited to stay and help the ship establish some mission in the Caribbean. So I spent most of 2018 in Commonwealth of Dominica, Uh, And we provided an eye surgery outreach and some dental care and some primary health care. But in, in the course of doing all of that, we also ended up in the Virgin Islands for a while. And, you know, the Lord provided all the way through for
0: every time we had a need, he provided what we needed. Jared Waipori joins us once again to share more of his adventurous story. He was working at a comfortable job in New Zealand when God challenged him to train for ministry overseas. And since that time, his life has been one big adventure in various parts of the world. We'll hear more of Jared's story next time. The Story, story. just another way vision is connecting faith to life.